Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you so much and good morning. I love to come back on this campus because of your values. Uh, you can turn into the uh, boulevard out there and it's very, very obvious that uh, you value excellence. Uh, the grounds are just manicured beautifully. There's not a single piece of paper anywhere to be found. If there would have been, I'd have saw it, but there's not. It's beautifully done. But you also, you value spirituality. Uh, Brother uh, Dan was telling me about your aggressive spirituality this year in, in your prayer times and in chapel. And I was so pleased to hear that. But you also value relationships. Uh, that's obviously very important. Uh, Kiara came to me and, and held up her finger. And there's this massive diamond uh, from her millionaire husband down here sitting by her. And uh, so they're getting married, it looks like. You, but uh, you also are aggressive with your relationships, I noticed. I want to meet Colby. Uh, I'll tell you what, that Colby has got to be the most aggressive guy I've ever seen when it comes to a date. Uh, so. Did he stand up? Where is he? Yeah, I, I really want to meet you uh, sometime. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I was quite impressed with all your advertisements on campus. The first thing I saw. Uh, so I, I'll be interested to know who the lucky girl is that uh, Colby uh, secures. As you're turning to Ephesians 6 on your phone or your device, I, uh, I challenge you to drop by the uh, student center. I'll be drinking, I'll be there with some coffee. I hope maybe can purchase you some coffee. But it's not really about just drinking coffee together. Uh, your president calls me the grandfather. I do have six grandchildren and uh, they're wonderful. But uh, I've had a lot of life experience. I, I do about a hundred, little over a hundred life coaching sessions every year. Uh, and a lot of them are younger people like you. And I think I've heard everything you can hear. I, I was thinking about it this morning. I've never, heard, I've never had anybody confess murder to me, so I haven't had that one. But I've heard a lot. And I'm an, a non-threatening, unofficial person on campus. You, you don't have to worry about telling me anything. And uh, if you just need somebody to talk to, sometimes you need to get something off your heart. And I'll be there. And I can listen. Uh, sometimes you have questions. Uh, I'll, I'll be glad to listen, and if I have an answer, I'll try to offer it. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something really at the beginning of your school year. I've entitled it Strategies for Standing Strong. It's interesting that Paul makes this statement to the Ephesian church, these five-star Christians. He said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his mind. If you double click on that, you can see the backside of it. 
And the backside of that verse is there is the possibility you can be weak. You can be a strong Christian and for certain reasons you can become a weaker and weaker or a weak Christian. One of the things that I found out in 22 years of Bible college work is that the reasons, the number one reasons students came to a Christian college or Christian university or a Bible college, the number one reason on all surveys was that we want to know the Lord better. We want to grow in our spiritual life along with getting an education. But one thing I consistently saw in that time was that often the new ones coming in came in with such passion and zeal and it actually ebbed instead of increasing. As a matter of fact, life at a Christian university can be a little bit, a little bit deceitful. You think you're somehow coming into this paradise on earth, this place where the, the angels dwell. But, but trust me, uh, Satan is able to get by that gatehouse out there and can get inside. And so sometimes it's a little bit deceptive. As a matter of fact, studies show, one study by the Christian Scholars Review showed that 30% of students attending a Christian university or Christian college stop going to church. Now, why in the world would that happen? Well, let me give you some reasons. This is my observation. Number one, when you walk on this campus, you're submerged into a religious ghetto. I mean, everywhere people are praying. You've got prayer groups, you've got chapel, you've got Bible class, you've got godly professors, you've got a Christian president who challenges you spiritually. Everywhere you turn, you're just in this Christian ghetto. Everything is religious. Everything is spiritual. And that's wonderful but can also be dangerous because what happens is you're just living off, it's kind of sponging off everything around you and your own personal spiritual habits start decreasing or you put them on the shelf. The other thing is you move into the fast lane. Anybody think life at the university is busy? Yeah, it's super busy, but actually this is going to be one of the most relaxed times of your whole life. So get ready for the future. But everybody says, man, I'm just so busy. I'm just so swamped. Well, you've moved into the fast lane. And the other thing is you've left parental accountability and you haven't picked up personal accountability. At home, you had mom and dad. They were there saying, you know, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And they would check on you. Well, here, nobody's checking. Nobody's going to look over your shoulder. Nobody's going to see if you get out of bed. Nobody's going to see if you actually engage in those spiritual disciplines that you need to, to enhance your own spiritual life. So let me give you just a few things that I think would be valuable to you and teach you how to stand strong. Some strategies for standing strong. Number one, meet God every single day. I mean, never, ever, ever let a day go by that you don't meet God. You say, is that actually possible with the kind of schedule we keep? Absolutely, it's possible. You don't schedule your quiet time into your day. You schedule your day around your quiet time. 
And trust me, that works. I've done it for decades. It actually works. Meet God every single day. You can't neglect your heart. We live from our heart. That's the whole source. That's, all, that's, the, that's the out of the abundance of the heart. That's where everything comes from. We draw all of our spiritual life from our heart, so we can't neglect our heart. And if you do neglect your heart, your heart will begin to drift. It will begin to go in the direction you don't want it to go. So meet God every single day. You say, there's no way in the world I can spend quality, quiet time with the kind of class load and workload and schedule load I've got. Well, sometimes in your mind, you say, well, I can't give God 30 minutes. Give God five minutes. Give God 10 minutes. Give him whatever time, but give him quality time every day. There have been times personally I've gone to that place of prayer, that quiet time in the morning, and I would be so exhausted, so depleted of, of energy that, that I, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to read. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't, I didn't want to spend time in prayer. And I've actually just sat in the presence of God. And I said, God, I'm just exhausted, but I'm here. I want to be in your presence and just sitting there in his presence for five or 10 or 15 minutes has, has unbelievable benefits. Meet God every day. Number two, learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to enable us, to enlighten us, to energize us. Learn how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I was, I'm going through the Gospel of John, and in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, and his disciples come back, and, and they've gone to get him some food, and he turns to them, he said, I have meat to eat that you don't know of. I, I have nourishment you don't even understand. And the little key to, to that insight is that when we do the will of God, in the power of God, it is actually nourishment to our own, to our own spiritual life. Learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn to listen to his voice when he speaks. Learn to respond to those prompts that he gives. Learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect your body. God has given us this amazing thing called our body. We have, he, Paul says, we have this treasure in these earthen vessels. So, I'm going to give you a stat that you're going to shake your head at me, but you need to try to get sleep every night seven to seven and a half hours. How many are doing that? <laughs> yeah, about 10%, maybe 10%. But here again, it's a matter of scheduling. Learn to get sleep. Do you know that more people are killed by sleepy drivers than drunk drivers? Take care of your body. Get sleep. Get exercise. I know some of you are on the soccer team. Did you guys win last night? Way to go. Way to go. I know you play soccer. I know you play baseball. I know you play all these sports, but you need exercise. Exercise reduces the need for sleep. It increases your mental clarity by 30% and it helps you handle stress, the stress of college life. But also tired minds and bodies are easy targets for temptation and sin. When you are extremely weary and exhausted, that's when the doors of temptation are open the widest. Take care of your body.
The fourth is take charge of your life rather than letting life take charge of you. Simply, I mean by that is keep your priorities straight. Some things are not important. Learn how right now at this point in your life, learn how to say no. Learn how to say no to good things. You can't do everything. I had a student come to me years ago. She said, President Avery, I, I, something's just wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm drained spiritually. You got to help me. And I said, well, tell me what you're doing. And first of all, she was getting about five to five and a half hours of sleep a night. She was taking over 20 hours of college classes. She was working 40 hours a week and she was putting about half that many hours into a Christian ministry. And I said, what you're doing is impossible. You gotta, you gotta back off, you gotta, what is the most important? Why are you here? Keep your priorities straight. And I wish I could just sit down and talk to you like your grandfather. So maybe I'll try. But keep structure in your life. If I could tell you one of the most important things that will ever happen in your marriage, in your courtship, in raising your kids, all of the above. If I could take every one of you alone and just sit down and have a grandfather, granddaughter conversation, a grandson conversation, I would tell you, put structure in your life. Sometimes we use the word discipline, but that kind of has a negative connotation. So I like the word structure. One thing I have done in life coaching, I've worked with particularly young men who have been highly addicted to porn. And I mean, addicted for years. Uh, some of them started at age seven, some at age 11. And now, we're, now they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And they're, they're, they're still struggling. And they come to me and they say, I'm exhausted. I, I've got to have a way out. You've got to help me. And so I don't start by saying, okay, what are you watching? How, what, how, how do, I start by asking them, <laughs> hold on to your seat. I start by asking them this question. Do you floss your teeth every day? Now, I know you're looking at me like I fell off a, a cliff or out of a tree. Why would I ask them a question like that? I don't really care. I do care, but I don't particularly care about their dental hygiene. Why would I ask them a question? Do you floss your teeth every day? I simply want to know if they have discipline in the little things in their life. I, did, I actually did a survey on the college campus where I worked, and the students who, dis, who, who literally floss their teeth every day didn't have any trouble having their quiet time every day, keeping their life organized every day, and a whole lot of other things in their life in line. Now, the point I'm making here is structure. When I started with those guys, I'd say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I didn't check up on them if they were going to the computer and having, I didn't say, have you looked at porn today? I would simply say, do this, give me a schedule for the next two weeks. I want a schedule. What do you mean? I, I want a schedule for every 30 minutes. I want you to, you've got to get up at the same time every day. You got to make your bed, clean your room, go through all your personal hygiene, make sure that's done every day. Go to breakfast every day. 
I want system. I want system and structure. And the ones who actually took it seriously and did it, which was about three or four, within six weeks, less than six weeks, they would come back to me and say, man, I hadn't touched porn. And I mean, this would go on for months. They could be free. And the first time they would slip and fall would be at Christmas break when they'd go home and mom would say, look, I know it's been hard at school and you don't get to just sleep in. Don't worry about any, just sleep in, have a good time. And they would slip and go back to their OA. So my point is this, take, large, take charge of your life, put some structure into your life. I challenge you to read Eugene Peterson's book, The Contemporary Pastor, chapter two, just the rest of the book, just read chapter two. It's called The Myth of the Busy Pastor. And it's actually a myth. People who are constantly telling you how busy they are, people who are constantly saying, I'm so busy, I'm just about to drop, I can't. They're always talking about how busy they are. I'll guarantee you what you've done, you've bumped into someone who has no structure in their life. People who keep structure in their life, they get up, they, they, they bring order into their, to their little environment. And all through the day, they keep that structure are highly productive people who can get something done and who can stay on top of things spiritually. Number five, I guarantee before you leave this place or before this year is over, you're gonna bump into somebody and have personal conflict. But love people the way Jesus loved you. Love people the way Jesus loved you. And how did Jesus love people? He loved them with a self-giving love. An amazing story, true story. David Wilkerson, some of you may have heard of him. You may have read his book, The Cross and the Switchblade. But David Wilkerson, as a young man, went to New York City into the most difficult parts of the city. And while he was out working through some of those alleys, he ran into a kid from Puerto Rico A kid that was born into a home in Puerto Rico where his mother and daddy were into witchcraft, seances, all kinds of of voodoo and stuff on the edge. At the age of 15, he was sent from Puerto Rico to live with his brother in New York. He walked out on his brother because he didn't like the rules in the house and he he hit the streets and it wasn't long he became a member of a gang, the Mau Mau's. And it wasn't long until he was the warlord of that gang. He was head of it. During this time, Dave Wilkerson was just a a young minister. And as he was walking through some of the back streets of New York, he runs into Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz, of course, crossing the switchblade, was actually carrying a switchblade. And David Wilkerson approaches him and he has the Bible in his hand. Nicky Cruz hates that book. And Wilkerson said to Nikki Cruz, he said, I just want you to know that God loves you. And Nikki Cruz's response to him was, don't you come near me. If you come near me, I'll slice you into little pieces. And David Wilkerson's response was, if you do, every one of those pieces are going to cry out how much God loves you. Love people the way Jesus loved you and the way he loves you. 
Number six. Make sure you're all in. Make sure you're all in, deeply committed. Uncommitted people, uncommitted people have no future. The students in this chapel this morning that aren't deeply committed won't really have a future. Committed people do. I love this quote. Excuses are the crutches of the uncommitted. Uncommitted people have no future. If you are all in, it's amazing what you can do. One of my favorite true stories is a Christian family in Canada, Elaine and Bernie Lockstrom. He had, an, a, he had a, an amazing hardware business, it was doing extremely well, and they started their family, a little girl was born, a beautiful little baby girl, and then they wanted, David wanted a, Bernie wanted a boy, and they had a boy, and, and they named him David. When David was about six, somewhere between six months and a year old, they realized something wasn't quite right. Uh, they noticed that he, did, he lacked coordination. He wasn't crawling and things just weren't going right. So they took him to a doctor and the doctor gave him a thorough examination and he looked back at Elaine and, at Elaine and Bernie and said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but David has cerebral palsy. He's never going to have a normal life, so you just need to prepare yourself for it. His father, Bernie, refused to accept it. He actually took him, true story, took him to 37 different specialists. They all told him the same thing. Bernie started doing research and he found out that there was a guy at Cleveland Clinic, a Dr. Goldstein, who specialized in children with cerebral palsy. He called, he, there were no appointments for two years and he kept pressing and he finally said, give me the first cancellation you get. And he got, he took it. They said, we'll give you their first cancellation. Kid from South America canceled and they were able to see David within a few months. Dr. Goldstein went and take, took him through all the tests, all the examinations, everything. He turned to Bernie and Erlaine and here's what he said. He said, this boy will never walk. He'll never ride a bike. He'll never play ping pong. He'll never do what other kids do. He has no motor connections to the right side of his brain. If, if you listen to what everybody else out there is going to tell you, if you will do what I'm asking you to do, it's gonna be amazing the kind of life we're able to give this, this young man. And so they did. It started out with certain braces they had to strap on his legs every night, certain exercises they had to go through. His father, Bernie, actually gutted the, gym, the, the basement of their home and put in a gym and actually hired a trainer who would come in and work with David every day. The trainer had been there over three months working with, with uh, little David every day. And Bernie got a call at his office and said, hey, you got to come home and see what David wants to show you what he can do. And after three months of very, very hard work, David was stretched out on a mat. His instructor said, okay, David, show your dad what you can do. And David was able to do one full push-up. But he kept going. 
He went through those painful braces. He went through treatments. He went through all of this exercise. And finally now he's growing. He's getting of age that he can actually big enough to play table tennis or ping pong. And what he would do, they'd push the table up against the wall. You know how you can turn one end up and he'd play himself. And he play, and you can imagine his, his original coordination wasn't very good. But he kept working at it until finally he could play himself and really coordinate with the ball. So he, he, he checked around. He got the worst ping pong player in the whole neighborhood. Called him in. And he'd play that guy till he beat him. Then he worked his way up till he got to the best ping pong player in the neighborhood. And he played that guy till he beat him. He'd get out of bed at five o'clock in the wintertime, drag himself down to a little pond behind their house, strap on the skates. It took him an entire year to learn how to stand up on a pair of skates and skate, but he did. Fast forward, age 17. David Lockstick's doing 1,100 push-ups a day, running seven miles a day, is at the top of his class in calculus and is dating a very, very lovely young woman. And his future is bright. You know why? He was all in. He was all in to making sure he could actually live a normal life. Strategies for spiritual growth. Strategies to stand strong. Be strong in the Lord. Put them all together. The last one brings them in. Just make sure you're all in. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing on this campus. Thank you for how you're working in the lives of these students. Thank you for the year that you've given them, the spiritual intensity that everyone has noticed. And I pray that you will take some of these simple principles Let them lodge in their hearts and learn day by day there are ways to stay strong. There are ways to face the wind and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. God bless you. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.